Okay. Hey, what's going on, good people? It's uh, Gardner Douglas, your Oyster Ninja, and today we got Mr. Kevin Joseph on the hotline, and uh, today is International Oyster Day. Is that right, Mr. Joseph? That is correct. So, so for for the folks that don't know, you know, uh, International Oyster Day is something fairly new, right? Right. And uh, not not National Oyster Day, but International Oyster Day. So, um, for the folks also who don't know Mr. Kevin Joseph, um, well known in the oyster community, um, he's got the Empire Oyster and National Oyster Week, and you got a whole bunch of stuff going on, man, which is great. Yeah, New York Oyster Week is uh, sort of how um, I got, I identified a way into the oyster world or sort of began to identify myself and position myself and with oysters and begin to work with oysters was was when we started that 2012 with uh, New York Oyster Week, which um, is interesting because a lot of people feel like, well, I should say my perception is that some people feel like maybe I'm most interested in celebrating oysters from New York because mm-hmm. I'm a New Yorker. But the truth is that, um, you know, New York Oyster Week was originally designed um to celebrate the history, culture, cuisine, economy, and ecology of oysters in New York. But that includes oysters from other places that are consumed in New York. So there's an oyster culture here in this oyster town, but that oyster culture certainly includes and celebrates oysters from everywhere we can receive oysters from, so Canada, Mexico, New Zealand, and the United States. So, um, of course, there's a bias, like any place. Seattle or or Vancouver would have a bias uh, towards West Coast oysters, meaning, you know, they're just easier and cheaper to get, uh, local Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And, of course, New York has the same. Um, But uh, New York Oyster Week was really always designed to be something. It was really a a spotlight on oyster culture in New York City um, and and the state of New York, Um, but, but not just about New York oyster producers or New York uh, oyster uh, shuckers or chefs that feature oysters or seafood. So so that's how it got started or how I got started with oysters in in the latest incarnation. I grew up in a seafood restaurant family, so I've always been around seafood and oysters. But uh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, how did your love even start with the whole oyster thing? Like, because it takes a it takes a sort of weird person as as we're called now they even eat oysters and then like to go from eating oysters to shucking oysters to cooking oysters how did you get your love like where did it come from um i think it was just innate it was in my dna um you know having grown up um in east Hampton, long island long before it was cool i like to add uh, you know, 1970 to 1971, um, or 1970 to uh, 1977, when I lived there as a kid, I went to elementary school there, you know, my playground mm-hmm. was the little marshes and swamps and bays around Three Mile Harbor in Springs, which is a little village within the town of East Hampton. And my family had a restaurant uh, there in Springs, um, and my uh, grandparents had a restaurant in Montauk. So, you know, I was, I'm sure I was eating oysters at five, six years old. I'm sure of it. 
Um, and then my grandmother had a seafood restaurant in South Florida for a long time in Bonita Springs, Florida, near Naples. And, you know, I all my first jobs were in that restaurant, from dishwashing to prep cook to waiter to um, everything, bartender, everything. So I was always around oysters. I always loved oysters. And it was in 2012, uh, 2011, I I caught a pod, uh, not a podcast, a TED Talk. Uh, mm-hmm. Kate, Kate Orff was talking about oyster texture. So architecture or subaquatic or intertidal architecture. Using oh, yeah, oyster. yeah. I saw that one. Yeah. And I realized, I just became fascinated with how, you know, oyster reefs were this integral part of um, ecosystems, and I hadn't really thought about them in a New York City or New York Harbor, t- um, you know, location. At the time, I was living in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and my view was down the Hudson towards the, the you know, New York Harbor to the Statue of Liberty. So I was sitting there watching this thing, looking down that river, thinking, hmm, why don't we recycle oyster shells? to mm-hmm. use in reef reconstruction and why hasn't anyone created New York Oyster Week? I think it was around the time of Fashion Week, um, mm-hmm. like a, or late August or early September. And I said, all right, I'm going to start writing up, you know, what is what is the New York Oyster Week? <clears throat> so I did that and very quickly got some people involved and got some support from people that mattered. And we began to do it and I've been telling this story a lot lately because I'm running an oyster bar in Jersey right now. Right. People ask me all the time, how did you get into oysters? And I say, well, you know, I created New York Oyster Week. And then, you know, sort of, I was sort of faking it before I knew what the hell I was talking about in the sense that mm-hmm. I, I knew what it was. I knew what I wanted it to be. And I was trying to get other people to support it. And they were. And it was, and it, then it began and it happened and it happened again. We've done it eight years in a row <laughs> in the last two weeks of September. But like that first year, I didn't know then what I know about oysters now. Like, right. I'm like, like you, you know, we're like encyclopedias for oysters and aquaculture and marine biology now. But when I first started it, I, I didn't really know that much. And then what I quickly did is I started reading every book I could as fast as I could. Now right. there's 10 more books that, that are out there. I'm sure you have them all too. But, um, you know, I, became, well, I gave myself a PhD in oysters through that process because I felt like I needed to earn and deserve what people were saying about me. Oh, he's, he's the oyster king of New York. And I was I would always wince right. when I would hear that because I felt yeah. like, gee, man, just take it easy. There's a lot of people out there that deserve that kind of uh, accolade much more than me. But, um, you know, I'm just a part of the whole puzzle. I'm trying to be a a messenger and ambassador for oysters and aquaculture and the people that grow oysters and trade in oysters and shuck them and serve them. I'm just one of a big tribe. And um, right. But to answer your question, that's how it started. That's how it started. So let me ask you, man, what was uh, some of your first books you read? Uh, big Oyster was probably the first. Um, mm-hmm. You know it, obviously. The Big Oyster is about New York City and it's history with oysters, um, not the Big Apple, the Big Oyster. Right. I think I read Geography of Oysters, Rowan Jacobson's book, uh, and then I think pretty quickly read um, the Patrick McMurray's book. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's initially called Consider the Oyster. It looks like there's a re, re, uh, 
there's a new edition. I think it's called Oyster Companion. It looks very right. similar, but I think it's like a new edition. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the first three, and I said, ooh, there's some stuff to know here that, <laughs> if, you, that if you know it, you can sort of be to oysters what a sommelier is to wine. And those guys that are psalms, um, those men and women, you know, they're getting paid and they have a value proposition that they can bring to a restaurant and to a consumer in that they understand the entire life cycle of a wine from, you know, from uh, before before a grape grows, you know, what do they call it, from a clipping to a vine to a grape to the fermentation process to how it ages to how it's put on a wine by the glass list to how it's served uh, in a restaurant to what the temperatures are that you keep wine at, all of that expertise and what's going to be worth something more, you know, what's going to appreciate, what's not, what's to be drank now, what's to be wait, what should you wait 20 years to drink. So I realized there's an opportunity here to become that expert. Um, And that's when I started to read every other book I could and just do every bit of research I could and talk to every grower I could and visit every farm that I could. Um, in 2013, I was asked to be the uh, national sales director for Blue Island Oyster Company. Mm-hmm. And that was great because that allowed me to go into the city, in New York City, and talk to chefs and train staff. But then I had really educated myself. Um, and also shucking, you know, like knowing how to shuck and shuck different kinds of oysters, how to store oysters, how to, you know, what, what are the varieties? that you should have on hand if you want to be an elite oyster destination. So, you know, you don't have five oysters from one place that are all kind right. of similar. So treating it all just exactly like a psalm would treat a wine by the glass list or, or a wine by the bottle list for a restaurant and training, you know, like the Peninsula Hotel and the Waldorf Astoria, like, you know, great chefs were asking me to help them. And mm-hmm. it was great. And some of those relationships um, maintained today. Some of those chefs have moved on to other places in other cities. Um, so that's sort of what I saw as the opportunity to be of value to others and create some value for myself. And so I hope that people appreciate that. I think it's pretty common in in, in the small world in which we live for people to sort of say, well, he doesn't know this or they don't know that or I don't know about that guy. And look, I'm just trying to be one of the one of the good guys that's out there being right. a great ambassador for oysters and open them beautifully and, you know, be honest and get people to understand and appreciate what their preferences are so that they know how to order them and they know how to eat them and they don't feel silly or intimidated in a restaurant ordering them or they don't feel like Gee, these are too expensive. I don't, I don't get it. You know, like sure. I want people to go. I want people to realize, like, well, that Taylor Kumamoto is different than a California Kumamoto. Is different than a Mexicano, and that's why it's worth this amount, and those are not. Um, but I see a lot of people all the time, like, oh, I've had oysters. I'm not that into oysters. Exactly. I'm like, yeah, because you had one oyster once. It was probably raw. It was served on a paper plate. Uh, at some seafood shack somewhere, and of course, it, it didn't impress you. You know, try this one that's ice cold with a beautiful mignonette on it, and you know, came from pristine waters and is big and fat and juicy, 
And oh, by the way, it's right now at that prime prime oyster season. Everything's quality is great right now. Um, and that this is the time when we can turn people that are on the fence. Uh, about oysters into oyster lovers and uh right. doing that every day which is great so i think you just described i mean you talked a little bit about the uh, sommelier but you're, you're coining a new term oyster education yeah mermelier is uh okay it's actually not that new i think i first articulated um, that phrase in about 2013 Late 2013, okay. early 2014, I basically went out on a limb and said, I'm going to basically declare myself this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to defend that description of my skill set and my value proposition to others by defining what it is. So, like I just said, you know, to be two oysters with a sommelier to wine is, is precisely what I am. And when you really study what psalms, how they're trained, and what they do and what their value proposition is, it's a hell of a lot more than try this. This tastes good. Yeah. It's it's about understanding how the entire industry works together as a whole from from like I said, from the clipping to the to the to the wine by the glass, um, at the fine end and at the mid middle end and at the low end of the dining scale. So um understanding and navigating all of that with oysters is uh, what, what a Mermelier does. I I do kind of take issue with some of the folks, although I haven't really called anybody out on it. When people refer to me as an oyster sommelier or mm -hmm. others that use, that use that term, it just sends chills up my spine because you can't be an oyster some. Right, um, right. I get, I get why Ed, maybe it's easier to pronounce, it's more familiar, but you, you can't be a baseball quarterback and you can't be a football pitcher. You know, right. it, it, it can't, you can't be an oyster sommelier. Well, you know, if you want to call, if you want to call somebody out, you know, let it be on the Oyster Ninja podcast, you know. <laughs> no, I appreciate, look, like I said, we're all trying to, we're all rowing in the same direction. Right, right. And, and we're all trying to be a rising tide. Um, and so I respect everybody out there that that is, you know, a part of that community. And I want us all to be successful because it's really important to all of us that are party to the oyster because, listen, it ain't going to get any cheaper to produce an oyster. And the consumer is not going to be that much more excited to spend more than, you know, two, three, four, five, in some cases, dollars on a single oyster. You know, in New York City, uh, 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 the top quality Kumamoto can, can be six bucks. Um, you know, a, a great East Coast oyster um, that's, you know, beautifully farmed, a boutique craft artisanal oyster that, from somebody who knows what they're doing from pristine waters, and you can name a hundred of these folks, is easily three fifty. Um, that's a lot. Well, you know, you do that yeah. cost per you do that cost per pound of that protein. You're up there with Wagyu beef. So they're very expensive in a sense, but they're loaded with nutrition. They're loaded with, you know, all kinds of, you know, great um, stuff nutritionally. And as we know, farming oysters is ecologically beneficial. So if you're going to eat something uh, and, you know, have it be low in calories and high in nutrition, you know, you get more out of half a dozen oysters than you do out of a cheeseburger. That's, that's for sure. Um, and... Um, 
you know, so I want I want to be a rising tide with everybody else, and and so the the point of uh, Mermelier is to um, is sort of define how, well, sort of trying ultimately I want to create some sort of a, an academy where um, we can train shockers and we can train chefs, especially younger folks, to come into this world and know what they're doing, know what they're talking about, know where to buy from, know how to store stuff, know how to treat it safely. I mean, you are talking about an uncooked product. So, you know, um, safety can be, well, safety is always an important thing with food handling, but um, particularly with something that's raw. So food safety. um, And again, you know, being somebody who can be articulate about why am I paying $3 for a half, you know, for a gram of protein? Well, mm-hmm. it's, it's as nutritious as a pound of beef. Um, and, um, you know, maybe we don't need, need so much as a society, particularly for dinner. Certainly a lot of obesity out there, a lot of malnutrition. So I find oysters to be a great form of nutrition, not just for your um, body, your muscles, your organs, but for your brain. It's tremendous brain food loaded with omega-3s and, and highly soluble amino acids. I mean, it's iodine. It's a food that delivers to us things that almost all other foods cannot, and even vitamins and supplements don't do a very good job at. So, you know, for the same dollar, you're getting more nutrition for your brain and your body. And, uh, you know, again, that's another part of what a Mermalian needs to be a um, advocate for. So everything I do is about trying to, maintain that perception of and raise that perception of value in the consumption of oysters because they're not getting any cheaper to produce and they're not getting any cheaper at the restaurant. Um, you know, one of the best things to do um, is to try and teach people how to shuck because right. if if you can shuck at home, you can buy a bag of oysters direct from lots of growers <clears throat> and you know, now you're at a you're at 150 bucks for 100 oysters. Now you're at a, you know, and you, you get them cheaper than that. But let's say you're at 150 bucks, uh, re, you know, whole, you know, retail to have them shipped to your door. You know, eat those 100 oysters with a few friends. You know, you just saved 400 dollars versus going out to eat them at a restaurant with the cost of oysters at a restaurant in tax and tip. Now, having said that, I I run a raw bar. I don't I don't want people to you know stop coming in and you know. Um, but I do want people to eat more oysters, and I certainly want them to eat more more of them at home. So learning how to shuck is an important part of what um, we would do with this academy that we hopefully one way one day will create. Um, and you know, just teaching people how to present oysters beautifully and speak eloquently about them, table side or raw bar side, is is an important part of all that. So I hope uh, people out there that listen to this podcast that might be interested in getting involved in shopping and hospitality. It's really a hospitality kind of training program. Oh yeah. Yeah. Might reach out to me and say, Hey, I'd like to learn a little bit more because I'll tell you in the years to come, you know, myself and the people I'm involved with, you know, we definitely want to open more oyster bars and, and do a better job than we've seen some places that serve oysters do. Um, and we need guys. We need men and women who can shock and can speak eloquently and can tell you the difference between oyster A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. Um, mm-hmm. 
And a lot of places, as you know, Gardner, you know, you go in a restaurant and say, what, what kind of oysters you got? And you get a blank look from a waiter. Yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> East Coast and West Coast. And, uh, right. you know, that doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't make me want to give you three bucks an oyster. Right. Three bucks there, right? So um, you need to have people that are handling oysters, serving them and presenting them to be articulate so that we can – you know, continue to help that industry grow because it is so important. And this is really the whole point of all of this for me is my mission is to help to um, find ways that people appreciate this as a food. Get in their belly with this message. And the message is that tastes good, right? Yeah, that tastes good. Okay, that makes you feel good, right? Yeah, that makes me feel good. Let's, you know, then they start asking questions. It's like this guided discovery process that, for me, is standing at an oyster bar shucking oysters happens 50 times a week. Um, you know, where did it come from? Are, are farmed oysters okay? You know, they start asking questions, and I start giving correct answers. And right. what ends up happening is people come away from me appreciating oysters much more and appreciating the places they come from much more. So I'm talking about coastal marshlands, estuaries, tidal places. These are the places that I grew up in. This is my childhood. My 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 playground was a marsh, not a swing set. Um I just was in the woods and I was in the I was in the muck. Um right. and fishing and catching frogs and snails and boiling periwinkles and clamming and oystering and stuff like that as a little kid. So <clears throat> If we don't protect and preserve and restore these fragile ecosystems, you know, we're not going to have this, this food. And, you know, that, that gets you in the belly. Uh, and so I, I hope if, if, if nothing else, one day I have a tiny legacy. It might be that was, I was an advocate for these places and these people that rely on these places to grow this food that's really actually very good for us, ecologically beneficial, and that's good for all of us. Um and that's the whole point of, of understanding oysters, being an advocate for them, creating things like New York Oyster Week, International Oyster Day, the Oyster Hood. All of these are vehicles to sort of forgive the pun or the, the phrase, but, you know, spread the gospel of the oyster. Right. Now, speaking of uh, vehicles, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the shuck truck and uh, stern and bow. Yeah, Stern and Bow is a restaurant in New Jersey and close to New Jersey that hired me as a consultant to come in and create a great raw, pro, raw bar program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did, and uh, it's been great. A uh, great group of people, and, um, you know, right out of the gate, we we had a market there. You know, northern Bergen County is very affluent. It's a bedroom community for New York City. People drive into the city or take the bus or the train in the city every day. You know, it's it's just an affluent, it's kind of like Arlington, Virginia might be, I, I would say, or Frederick, Maryland, maybe maybe Frederick's too far, but, you know, these outer outer bedroom communities. So we, the owner, Russ Stern, felt like, you know, there is no oyster bar. If, if we had a great oyster program, that would that would be something we could differentiate with. And boy, was he right. Um, right. So, you know, last week, I think we did a couple thousand oysters, and we've been averaging that. And it's a small restaurant. It's only 150 seats. You know, it's not a huge restaurant. So it's been going really great. We actually found a pearl 
again, found at Pearl in a Taylor Kumamoto, which is, to anyone's knowledge, unprecedented. So, Yeah, that's what I wanted to touch on. Because <laughs> you got... Right. I, I swear to God, if I wasn't standing there and watched the guy pull it out of his mouth, Anton, I, I would have said the same thing. Right. And then I looked at the thing, and I said, holy shit, that is a pearl. It had a little nipple on it. It was like a, it, was, it was almost teardrop shaped, but it was really white. It was tiny. We've since lost it. Can't find the goddamn thing. But um, <laughs> um, it got. You know, I, I realized this is a story because I don't like the odds of finding a pearl in an oyster, a, a Kumamoto from Washington. I right, never heard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, certainly heard of pearls and oysters, but and I found a couple, but I never from that part of the world. So. I called Wes Taylor at Taylor Shellfish, and I said, hey, man, you found a pearl in the Taylor tomorrow. Have you ever heard of it? And he goes, I, I don't think so. He, and he, let me ask around. So he asked around. He called me back the next day. He's like, no one's ever found one in one of our tomorrows. So to our knowledge, it was the first oyster, uh, the Taylor tomorrow to ever have an oyster in it. So we wrote a press release, and it went out, and the story got picked up around the world. Exactly, we were, yeah. It was crazy. Millions and millions and millions of impressions. We were the number one story with that on uh, Apple News for like 15 minutes. It was hilarious. Fox did a coverage on it, and they got picked up. And it was like the number one Beautiful thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. And then the shark truck is just, you know, a 1967 Chevy van. If you want to see pictures of it, you can go to EmpireOyster.com. I think I serve oysters out of it. It's not a food truck. It's just a truck. It's just a fun goof driving around. It's got my logo on it. It's got two taps in it. So I'll pull it up to a, an event, and we'll be serving beers out of the stand, and we'll have a raw bar set up in front of it. So it really functions mostly as a back bar, for an right. oyster bar, where we have a place where we can shuck and serve oysters at a, generally a private event. But I've never gotten organized enough to do it, but I really want to take it to some football games and do what I call oyster gaming. Nice. So, you know, have somebody like, you get 10 guys together and be like, all right, we're going to this game or that game and just have our own private thing because you can't sell, you can't vend at those things. They'll kick you out. But I haven't gotten organized enough to do that. Like everything in my, you know, in my world, there's there's so many things I want to do and I just, you know, you got to make money. Um, right, right, yeah. You do this whole time. You got you, you to gotta find the path to revenue. And... um Along the way, you got to do cool things that are fun, that are exciting, that, again, lead back to the message, which is oysters are great. People that grow them are great. Oyster farming is great. It's important. It's critical. You know, there's a whole culture and way of life that, that these people can maintain that is important. That's just, I don't know what, it's just so important to me to, to help people be able to stay in the towns they grew up in and Maybe they can't be a, a fisherman in the bay anymore, but they can certainly grow oysters. We're seeing that all over the country. So they can still stay in that town they grew up in and raise their family. They want to do it, and to me, that's really important. All right, man. So the time is now. Um, let's jump into International Oyster Day, and we're celebrating that today, and I hope everybody's eating oysters. And um, I guess what's the biggest difference um, between international or why should we have – International Oyster Day today instead of National Oyster Day, uh, you know, a few months back? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons. And, again, it's, I think, you know, like with the Mermelier thing, I think some people say, well, that's very self-serving of this guy to go out and declare himself something, and isn't he special? 
Well, you know, you can have that opinion, but really what I'm trying to do is, is be a positive force for other people. And this is another example of that. So um, International History Day was something I came up with in 2014, I want to say. I think we did our first event with it on November 18th, 2015. Um, we've done a few events. We don't do something every year. We were going to do something this year, and um, just time got away from us. And it's also today's a Monday, and it's not exactly a day that people want to go out and spend money and, and eat oysters on a Monday. But um, it's really important to me to try and change this National Oyster Day thing, which has been August 5th try and get everybody in the industry to rally around this change because as we all know oysters are in their prime season right now I mean this is prime time for oysters in the northern hemisphere and almost every oyster variety is available and all five oyster species are available and oysters are at their peak quality all those varieties and species are at their peak quality so if there's a time of the year to introduce somebody to oysters or to celebrate oysters, it's it's certainly not August 5th where you can't get certain oysters, certain regions are wholly or completely um, shut down to harvesting. Um, you can't get Olympias. You can't get balloons. Kumos and West Coast stuff can be kind of creamy because they're coming out of the spawn or they're still in it. That's right. not entirely the most appealing time. I know West Coast growers that don't even harvest in the, in the uh, summer because it's not the time that they want to showcase the oysters. I know right. West Coast oyster growers that don't harvest in the summer because it's not the time. They may have other priorities too, running a hatchery or taking time with their family. But November 18th is far and away, or, or I should say middle, mid-November or early November is far and away a, a superior time for oyster quality. And I, I think it's I, – I, I just dialed in this date because it's – I felt like it was far enough before Thanksgiving that, you know, people – you could still get people's attention before they get sucked into the holiday, you know, maelstrom that is the holidays. And we're we're deep enough in the prime oyster season that you can get everything, and everything's at its peak quality. Um, even and especially the southern stuff, the, the the great oysters of the Gulf and South Carolina, and now they're starting to be stuffed in Georgia and Florida. Let me ask you, man. Uh, so, in your definition, what would be a peak oyster? Well, I think any oyster has its peak. I don't mean to say um, there's a, there's one oyster that's superior to another. I think that's subjective. Right. I mean, I love Olympias, and I love Kumos, and I love Virginicas. I mean, I love, you know, oysters are like, uh, you know, songs. You know, you like different ones for different reasons at different times. Um, so I don't, I don't mean to say that there's one oyster that's better than another. I like the way you put that. <laughs> I do mean to say very clearly that, and, and, and every grower and any marine biologist knows this, I mean, this is a better time for the quality of the meat. It's more opaque. They're thicker. They're full of glycogen. They're feeding still, and they're getting ready for winter. They're a bear standing at a stream, and there's a thousand salmon swimming by. They're mm -hmm. just getting fat for winter, and this is the time. Now, that's going to change in January when they, you know, and further north you go, obviously you know this, um, they they get a little weaker and they start the the 
the the quality begins to be not as good through the early spring until there's food in the water again. That doesn't mean right. they're not safe. It just means they're not as opaque. They're not as crisp. They're not as plump. They're not as big and fat. You know, like now is the prime time. You know, they're way past the spawn and they've been pounding. You know, eating, eating, eating. Water temperatures are dropping. You know, it's just it's just the prime time. So this is peak oyster season, uh, but that doesn't mean that one oyster is better than another. Um, everyone has their preferences. In Australia, it's the opposite, you know, or New Zealand. This is this is their summer, so their oysters are spawning. And um, spawning, for everyone to know, is is not just it's not just that it makes an oyster creamy, which some people do like, but it also a separate oyster. I've heard this from reliable sources. Oyster um, when they're when they're spawning, they ejaculate basically 90 times a day. So you do that for 30 days, um, you're going to be worn out, <laughs> I would think. Maybe not you. But, a, little, a little bit. Yeah, yeah they wear you out, right? So oysters, after they come out of the spawn, you know, they're crazy during the spawn, and then they come out of the spawn, they're kind of, they're kind of you've seen it, shocking. You've seen, you know, like in September, oh, yeah, for sure. oysters are like, gee, why is this oyster so thin? Or really August, maybe. And, like, again, why would you celebrate oysters at a time when they're not – you can't get them all, and they're not at peak quality? So I'm – I mean, I don't want to shit on anybody for celebrating National Oyster Day, but it was it was created by people that didn't understand oysters for their own selfish reasons. And it just got picked up by the media, and it doesn't serve anybody in the oyster community for us to celebrate oysters at their time unless you run a restaurant in a big city when it's slow during August because everyone's at the beach. Another reason to celebrate oysters in October or November is, you know, what a great time to set, to, to create oyster tourism where we send, you know, where people go out to oyster farms in November and learn about oysters and enjoy oysters at the beach when it's not seasoned at the beach anymore. So, you know, we can fill a few more beds in a bread and bed and breakfast. We can fill a few more mm-hmm. seats in a restaurant. We can get an oyster grower, um, <clears throat> you know, to put a few more bucks in their pocket by giving a tour. Um, and it's prime time. And when they take that oyster out of the water at an oyster farm and eat it when it's at its peak, it's going to enchant that person much more. So, again, it's like, well, the beach communities or the rural communities or the coastal communities where oysters are growing, they don't need any more people coming in August. They need people to come in the shoulder season. So it's another way to generate some additional benefit for people that benefit from oysters and aquaculture who aren't growers. They're just people that might own restaurants or, or bed and breakfast. They might own a convenience store in Martha's Vineyard or the, on the Cape or wherever. And there's more, another person in town that spent 20 bucks in their shop that day. So there's all these residual effects that are beneficial to celebrating oysters a little bit later. So I wish I had – I weren't so busy with the restaurant. I wish um, I had more time this year to um, put something more together and a little bit more of a campaign. But I appreciate you having me on and mentioning it because it's this is not something that I'm in a hurry to do. For the next 20 years, right, right. Be, you know, spewing the gospel uh, on, on, on November 18th. The only the big step forward we took this year is I have an identity for it, and it's on the website theoysterhood.com that anybody can take, or it's on our Instagram. Anybody can take and use it, 
And this year I translated it into like 14 languages. So it's in there in Japanese, it's in there in Latvian, it's in there in French and a lot of different Dutch. So if, if you're somebody in, in one of those countries and you want to celebrate it, you can go grab the logo and throw it up and say, hey, it's International Oyster Day. And then the last reason it's important to celebrate it as an international thing is because it is an international food. It's not an American food. It's not a Canadian food. It's not a French food. Oysters are something that have been eaten by human beings since we stood on two feet for 200,000 years. It's a, it's a food that's been consumed in every nation since we stood on two feet. And it's because of that, it's a singular food in the history of mankind. Um, and that's why I think it's important to, to showcase it's international, you know, the, the, the common thread that many nations share with that that kind of food. It's also been consumed raw and on the half shell in all of those places for all of that time. Very few other foods can you say something about that, you know, by the wealthiest and the poorest as well. So very few foods have this sort of position in, in the, the history of humanity that, that oysters do. And for that reason, I think it's worthy of, you know, celebrating it internationally, not just nationally. It's not an American thing. It's not a Canadian thing. That's right, man. Um, so, uh, Can you I feel guess, it, brother? Do you feel it? Again? Do you feel it? Oh, for, for sure. I know you do. I know you do. For that. sure. You know, I'm about this oyster life, man. Um, that's, that's, that's where my joy comes from, man. I mean, you know, besides the wife and the kids, but. What is it for you? What, what, what gets you? How did you get into oysters, and why why are you so passionate about them? I'm gonna tell you, man. Um, I'm gonna be honest, and I tell my story all the time. You know, I initially got into this because of the money, not for any love or for any. For shocking oysters, working in a restaurant. No, no, no. So, all right, what happened was, so my dad shucks oysters, right? So, um, and this is gonna be a good story for nobody, for anybody who hasn't heard it. So, my dad shucks oysters. And he used to compete. Uh, he competes every now and then now. So he took me up to St. Mary's one year, and uh, he had the competition. And uh, hey, you want to, you know, you know, you want to try? You want to get into amateur? And I, I didn't even know how to shuck then. So I'm like, no, you know, I'm playing it cool, the cool guy, you know. And I was like, no, I'm good, I'm good. So he, he competes. He does. He places fifth that year, I think. Which, for me, I had no clue that was even big, you know, to say he's like fifth in the country. So, you know, we go home, and uh, so he's shucking oysters in the backyard. And then, again, he asked me, hey, you want to learn how to shuck? You know, next year you can compete. I said, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm all right. So he goes, come back. And when he comes back, though, he has a pocket full of money. So I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, how you shuck these things? Like, you know, so I'm all in there. I, I want to make some money, too. You know, I didn't realize that it was actual money involved in it, you know. It was just hard, dirty work, you know, because we were shucking wild oysters. And so I started shucking and it took me a little bit to get it, but I got it. And, of course, with, you know, him behind me. And, you know, the way he taught me, he didn't teach me. He didn't give me everything. So I kind of had to figure it out. And then he was like, oh, you finally got that part. So let's move on to the next. You know, so it was like that. So... I started doing events with him, and I started, you know, going out and doing little stuff here, little stuff there, and it just caught, man. Like I just caught the bug, 
when I started doing events, I realized that because I was always shy, timid, you know, laid back. But when I got behind that knife and started talking to people and I started learning about oysters, that's where it came from. Started learning. People look at you differently because like, you have something to offer. So I like being that guy who knew what I was talking about. And then I just, it, so I um, deployed in 2013, um, 2014. I came back home from Afghanistan. I was like, you know, I want a stress-free job. So, oh, yeah, no doubt about you. Yeah. So you, I started... <laughs> Thank you for the support, man. So I started looking for oyster jobs. I was in Virginia Beach. Nobody was paying anything. So I started looking for jobs in D.C. And my girlfriend, now wife, you know, she was up here. So I was like, well, even if they're not paying much, I'll go up and, you know, shuck oysters and I'll be closer to her. So I started shucking at Rappahannock. And from there, I was a rap man. They had me doing events for them. So I was like, hold on. You know, I can do this. I've been doing this. I'm good. So let me just step out there. And I started doing my own thing, man. And with Instagram and social media, it just kind of took off. Yeah, cool. I, I, I love it. I I think it's awesome. And I, you know, you and I have never met for those listening. Right. Um, and no, I contacted I, I, you. I don't know if you remember, but I contacted right. you back in like 2015, I believe. And it was like uh, Oyster Week, I think, and I was looking to come up there and shop, but yeah, it just didn't work out. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I I would love to um, be able to bring guys in from different parts of the country, and sometimes we do get growers that come to events, but it's expensive. You know, you got to fly in, you got to get a hotel room. New York City is brutal, and it, 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 for for expenses, and in September it's like kind of prime time. So it's just an expensive place to go, and the numbers, you know, we're we're trying to build something with the Oyster Hood, which is the entity that's a media company that produces New York Oyster Week. We're trying to produce, produce this. Um, we're trying to create this entity that can, you know, be supported by beer, wine, spirits brands, luxury beer, wine, spirits brands, and you know, other luxury products, services, experiences, whether it's financial. Um, services or even timepieces or clothing companies. You know, we need sponsors to come in and give us money to produce an event where they can have an activation and basically engage with oyster-loving consumers in a moment when they're consuming oysters and loving it, you know. Um, right. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. So, you know, people ask me, how's it going? I say, you know, uh, Good. Where trajectory is going <laughs> the direction we want it to go. Am I getting rich? Right. No. Have I even broken even on the investments I've made in websites and events and all this stuff? Probably not. Um, right. But I have seen um, a total change in how people perceive oysters in, in New York oh, City sure. and beyond. But you know, now people walk up to me and say, "Do you know they filter water? Do you know they create habitat?" And I say, yeah. Oh, have you heard of Billion Oyster Project? That's my favorite. I'm like, heard of them? They're like, we were born in the same time. Like, New York Oyster <laughs> and Billion Oyster Project literally came out into the world in like March, April, May of 2012. Right. And we immediately joined forces, and they recycle the shell, you know, collect some of the shell from some of our events. And mm -hmm. we give them space to tell their story, and we've had a great relationship. So, 
you know, I love what those guys do, and 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 they've been a big part of the the whole thing. But uh, I lost my track of thought a little bit. But um, the bottom line, it's so is good, it happens. I'm trying to get more dollars from companies that want to. That was what I was saying. That want to support these great events where people that really care about right. something are are there and they're giving real money and. You know, they've qualified themselves as a real consumer that's given us 80, 100 bucks for unlimited oysters and, and great libations. And what a great time to give your message about how you care about, you know, aquaculture or coastal communities. Uh, what a great time to give your message to the consumer. So in as much as you can, you can help us continue to do that, um, that would be great. And in as much as I can bring guys from different parts of the country, whether they're growers or shuckers, to New York um, to be a part of that. You know, we're always going to do our best to do that. Um, it is not a charity, um, but it does support many beneficiaries uh, over the years, primarily Billion Oyster Project. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to have a grow. People say, you know, how's your business going? I say, good, because I don't, and I don't say great or gangbusters, because that business for me is a life. I don't have a business plan. I have a life plan. I'm not right, right, right. gonna make you know a pile of money tomorrow. I'm in this to you know, you know, as I say, our slogan with Empire Oyster is to raise the raw bar. I want right. I want people to appreciate oysters more, and then you know I'll go and make more money shucking oysters and consulting with restaurants and operating my own oyster bars than I will doing the events. But I need those events to help people appreciate oysters more. And then they'll oh, yeah. go to my oyster bar and others, and it becomes a rising tide that benefits many people other than myself. Um, so it's an important part of the ecosystem that we are creating, and I appreciate your enthusiasm for it. And, you know, I look forward to participating with you more in the future. I'd love there to be a D.C. Oyster Week or a Capital Oyster Week one day. Right. Um, you know, uh, it just takes time, takes money. It's like a full-time job for two months, and it's, Man, I life sucks for me in August and September sometimes, but yes, you know, it doesn't feel like work when you're when you're passionate about something and you see results and you see change. Yeah, it's it's all a lifestyle, man. And I feel like anybody who deals with this oysters on the you know level that we do, and you're way past me, but like it's it's a lifestyle, you know. And like you said, it's not all about the money or right now. It's about what's you know going forward. What's it going toward? It's about food and protecting and preserving and restoring habitat and culture and opportunities, especially economic opportunities for people in rural places that, you know, they can't fish anymore because there's bans on this or there's bans on that, but they can still grow an oyster. I mean, that's just, we can't lose those, we can't lose that. I mean, you lose that and you sterilize these coastal communities and they become a bunch of like second home communities for people that are never there Jet skiing me, all over the place let me ask you man um, um i know you've talked about uh rowan jacobson and uh patrick murray uh who else do you think is like in this oyster industry um who, who are some people to look at or who are some people that you looked at coming up or you know um, well, you know, I really respect the Malinowski family because Fisher Island Oysters because 
you know, Steve is sort of like the godfather of um, aquaculture in New York. And Fisher's Island, for those that don't know, it's sort of this uh, – it's this beautiful secluded island um, just south of Connecticut, just east of the northern tip of Long Island. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that he was you know, figuring out how to hatch and nurse oysters 25, 30 years ago, and now they grow great oysters and um, – Tip them direct, and um, that and Pete runs the Billion Oyster Project, which he created with Murray uh, Fisher. Um, so those guys are definitely kind of like heroes. Uh, Perry Rosso is another one in, in Rhode Island, who's you know he's an all star. He's an oyster, as I say. He's um, got Matunic Oyster Bar, which is if anyone ever is driving through Rhode Island and they don't stop at Matunic Oyster Bar, they're missing. You know, one of the gr- one of the great um, oyster elite oyster destinations in the world. Um, oysters are harvested from like half a click away. Um, it's a beautiful place. Um, speaking of which, like Hog Island is another group. John Finger, who happens to be from Cuttrawag Island, he's he's kind of a hero. Um, he moves out to California and figures that they're going to start an oyster farm. I mean, what a maniac. Um, he and but you know if you go to of Marshall, California, and you go to Tamales Bay and Point Reyes National Monument or Park. <clears throat> I mean, that that is one of the all-time greatest places in the world to eat oysters and see oyster aquaculture and how they process their facility there. You don't really see the farm. You don't really see farming from the, what they call, what do they call it? I, I, there's like a yard there, a big, net, like, waterfront area. Um mm-hmm where you can grill oysters and there's picnic tables and stuff. And you don't really see the aquaculture happening there, but you do see the oysters come in you see them being processed. And mm-hmm. it's a really cool experience. So I really respect him and people like Ian Jeffords, um, with Penn Cove and the whole Taylor shellfish family and, and Shelton. They're, they're 125-year-old business. I mean, most oyster farms, as you know, are 10 years old or less. Right, they're right. A company that... I believe um, had the first seed for Kumamoto, the first uh, Sikamiya seed from Japanese immigrants was was brought there and and cultivated there in uh, in and around Shelton, Washington. I believe that's basically an heirloom Kumamoto. Um, so I, a lot of respect uh, for those folks and just just so many there's too many people to name, but. Um, Right, right. The Oyster South folks that are like really um, focused on bringing a, uh, supporting the the local family oyster grower. This is a nascent industry in the South. Um, talking about those places where you used to be able to do one thing and you can't do that anymore because you either overfished it or there's too much environmental uh, pressure or there's too much residential. You like you can't be a crabber anymore. Or you can't be a gill netter anymore. So now guys are turning to oyster aquaculture, and this organization is um, supporting them through great events and um, um, education and seminars. And uh, so that's another. So there's a lot of folks out there. There's some there's some links to some great organizations on theoysterhood.com, and then I have a nonprofit which. Honestly, we haven't done much with, but uh, it's called Oysters Unlimited, and there's mm-hmm. it's oystersunlimited.org. 
so we are a 501c3 based in North Carolina, but we, we just haven't done much except built a website where I've put up some content about some great organizations to look at if you're interested in learning, you know, about um, oyster shell recycling or coastal uh, erosion mitigation through oyster reef restoration, um, that kind of estuarine ecology and restoration projects that are going on. It's starting to become, like, recognized as, hey, wait, this is the right way to do it instead of building another seawall or bulkhead, which just moves energy from one place to another, just trading the problem. This that. sounds like another podcast. That's a whole another podcast. Well, that there's a guy. That's another guy. He's fun to talk to. Clamorhead started. Uh, Clamorhead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, Clamor- man. I've been. I know of him. I don't know him. We've talked, and I was supposed to get some of those emeralds up. And yeah, but I haven't shot them yet. So. Well, they only that those oysters only turn green in like February. Um, like January, February, March, and then they, there's just some kind of plankton that exists in that area at that time. This is like Moorhead City, North River, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and um, they come and go. But um, he's a character, and he and a Dom, a scientist from the University of North Carolina Marine Sciences, Dr. Niels Lundquist, started a company called Sandbar Oyster Bar, and a Sandbar Oyster Company, and they're basically creating innovative um, technologies and techniques for creating oyster reef restoration projects that municipalities or counties or states or even private citizens can can install that, in my opinion, are ecologically friendly and environmentally beneficial and just kind of the smart way to do it versus, you know, building more bulkheads or putting cement domes in the water that maybe some oysters will settle on before seaweed or other fouling happens. But um, he's a good guy to, to chat with. He's got this—he's got this great North Carolina drawl. Um, right. I think there's a link to a movie we made about him and the company on theoysterhood.com too. Okay. Um. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot of great folks doing great stuff out there, and I'm proud of them all. And I'm, I'm, you know, many of them, I'm very proud to call friends. And um, you're one of them, my brother. Appreciate you, man. And I appreciate you coming on the uh, Oyster Ninja podcast, man, on uh, International Oyster Day. Long overdue. <laughs> yes, sir, indeed. So um, where can people find you at, man? Uh, the raw bars, the, the websites, yeah. the social media? Um, I wish I was, you know, there are many out there that are so much better at the social media, the Instagram and the Facebook than I am. But, uh, I mean, I have it all. I don't tweet, but um, at Kevin Joseph at Instagram. I mean, if you Google, if you Google Mermelier, and that's spelled M-E-R-M-M-E-L-I-E-R, so a lot like Sommelier, um, I come right up. Um, um, all my social media stuff, but there's EmpireOyster.com, OystersUnlimited.org, TheOysterHood.com. And oysterweek.com, which will lead you to newyorkoysterweek.com, and we still have a website up for Miami Oyster Week. We did that once. Um, one day, like I said, I hope there's a Philly Oyster Week and this LA Oyster Week and a Vancouver Oyster Week, and you know all, all of these places, all these cities where we can have an Oyster Week that we can, uh, you know, continue to be a rising tide and, and bring value to everybody that's party to the whole ecosystem. Uh, you know, just one guy. Yeah, just one guy, and 
but if anyone is interested in, in talking to me about participating in that, um, you know, please feel free to reach out. So at Kevin Joseph at Empire underscore Oyster on Instagram, you know, all, all this stuff is like you Google any of those words, I'm gonna, it's going to pop right up. Okay. Hey man, that's uh, what I'm. I'm learning about these SEOs, man. Trying to get this social media right, man. So you got it going on. I don't know. I mean, I don't. It's, I don't have the patience for it, man. And my hands are always full of oysters, too. That's the other. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stop what I'm doing half the time. I struck a beautiful oyster, and I want to take a picture of it. But you know, right. I got I got a bunch of other. I got a bunch of things I'm, I'm also doing, like as far as like. There's other there's other oysters I got to shock and other people I'm talking right. to in the, in the moment I can't stop pick up my phone take a picture of an oyster now I got to go wash my hands again because that's like that drives me crazy when I see someone touch their phone and, and then shock an oyster right so you know I put my phone away when I'm in the moment and then you know I just I just I don't know how people find the time for it I respect it but I there, there must be a better way than I know of but one day. One day, man, one day we're going to be able to, you know, afford people just to carry that camera around with us. Yeah, right. To me, <laughs> the, 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 biggest, the most important thing for me has always been I'd rather be shucking an oyster and handing it to somebody for them to eat than taking mm-hmm. a picture of an oyster and writing about it. I mean, right. put, it, put it in someone's face versus right. putting it online. That That's the end-all, be-all, right? Deliver it to someone's mouth. Uh, so they can enjoy it versus, you know, writing about it. But yeah, I, there's a place for it all. I do, I do as much of it as I can. I wish I could do more. Exactly. I just, I'm, you know, uh, maybe I, I'm Gen X, I guess. I'm not a millennial. I, I need to be better at social media, but we'll work on that. <laughs> we'll work on that, man. I uh, just want to uh, say thank you, man, for coming on the podcast, man. And uh, you, you're my first uh, episodes for a while, so. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the bug again. So you know, I'm gonna get back to it. And we, you know, we just had a baby and bought a house, and it's been a lot, man. It just work. So I got the bug again, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to line up the next episode. So appreciate you. Well, yeah. If you ever if you want some ideas, you know, always shoot me a call or an email, and uh, there might be somebody I could say, hey, you know, maybe talk to this person. So, okay, that sounds great, brother. All right, man. All right, Thanks man. a lot for your time. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Happy International Oyster Day, man. Hey, thanks, pal. Cheers. All right, bye.